So it's a little bit long to read through the whole uh, chapter, but uh, it's probably more profitable than listening to me. So <laughs> um, my name's Dan Stromberg. If you don't know me, uh, I'm, uh, I'm preaching this morning uh, for uh, Tim asked me to preach. And I um, thought we'd look at Psalm 145. So uh, let's uh, open with prayer and uh, let's see what the Lord has for us in his word. Father, thank you this morning for uh, just the opportunity to worship you, to uh, just be in your presence, to, uh, to behold your holiness, fill us with your spirit, and, uh, and give us the joy that comes from being in your presence. We do pray for our, our brothers and sisters around the world who are in, um, as the song said, in, in every situation, uh, the persecuted church, um, the, uh, the, the suffering church, um, the, the, the church in Ukraine right now, that uh, they would be uh, in your hand and in your loving care. Uh, we pray for the churches in our valley who are now uh, standing up to speak your word and that they will be faithful in that. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Like to excuse the uh, children to Children's Church. Uh, go with their their lovely and beautiful teacher. Um, totally unbiased. Uh, <laughs> uh, great. So uh, uh, this week Tim was at the theology conference, and he's going to get a chance to talk about that in a little bit later. Uh, but also kind of interesting that he asked me to preach on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's strictly a coincidence and there's not um, nachos warming at his house as we speak. <laughs> Just a word, uh, you know, about the game this morning. You know, we're going we're gonna to spend time in God's word. Uh, many of you are looking forward to the game. Uh, guys, I just want to remind you, if your team wins today and you forget that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, you lose. <laughs> and no matter how much you've been chanting Ram's house all week, they're not going to let you sleep on their couch. <laughs> so, so just kind of remember that uh, uh, tomorrow's a, a big day too. And, uh, and don't forget your, your lovely uh, spouses or uh, others. In our Sunday school, uh, we've been uh, exploring our personal relationship with God. Uh, if God is a person, and he is, then a relationship is possible. We can have a relationship with God. And we've been looking at what that relationship looks like and discovering that it's like no other relationship we've ever had. Joel spoke in Sunday school this morning about uh, worship uh, and uh, we had a great worship uh, time this morning uh, singing praises. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to worship God by looking at one of the Psalms of praise, Psalm 145. Um, psalm 145 is the last psalm attributed to King David in the Psalms. It's titled the Song of Praise. Uh, this psalm also starts a short section um, Psalm 145 to 150, the end of the book, uh, of praise psalms. Uh, 146 through 150 
each start with praise the Lord, or as we sang over and over, and not enough, hallelujah. These are the halal uh, psalms, called the final halal or the, the halal psalms. So we, we start with praise the Lord. This song is titled A Song of Praise. So you can kind of see where we're going. <laughs> there's, there's no surprise ending here. This is, this is all up front. Psalms, this psalm is an acrostic poem, each verse beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the interesting thing is the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. If you uh, uh, listen to Kyle's reading or look in your Bible or what we had up on the screen, there's 21 verses in Psalm 145. Um, we're going to get to that little tidbit in a minute, but it's kind of sort of a little bit interesting, but not the point. So uh, we start with, I extol you, my God and King, and uh, bless your name forever and ever. And he goes on in this first three verses, just blessing God. Um, there's joy, there's praise, He's lifting all this up to God. And while this can be a corporate worship, this can be a corporate praise of God, we do that right now as we, as we say this psalm, we read this psalm, we, we met, you know, as a, as a church, but it seems very personal. This psalm seems very personal because he keeps saying, I. I will extol you, I will bless you, I will meditate, I will declare your greatness. So David made this personal. And sometimes we separate out and we have worship, and, and, and Joel kind of touched on this this morning, we have worship and worship is something we do in this building and it's a four song set with a reading in the middle. But worship is personal. And we personally worship God. Um, boiling down what he says, we can praise the name of the Lord forever. God is infinite. God is eternal. And the praise of him can last forever because he is infinite and eternal. Verse 3 is great. Notice that's kind of a pun because verse 3 starts with, Great is the Lord. Um, David joyfully overuses the word great here. It's, it's kind of funny when you, when you boil it down. Uh, great, of the Lord, great is the Lord. Uh, if you go to, to Strong's, I'm no Hebrew scholar. I'm no Greek scholar. Um, I'm no English scholar. Uh, no scholar. Uh, but if you, if you look at Strong's, and that's a quick and easy way to do this, great is the Lord. Great, in this case, means great or greater or greatest. So you can easily say here, greatest is the Lord. Then he goes on, greatly to be praised. So we've already said he's great. So how do we top that? We say he's greatly to be praised. That is exceedingly much, or I love this, with much muchness. <laughs> with much muchness, praise the Lord. Um, 
And then finally, his greatness is unsearchable. That's an attribute of God. That's an attribute uh, of greatness that is God. We say, when we say um, that uh, his greatness is unsearchable, we're saying the attribute of God's greatness has no end. It has no bottom. It has no top. It is huge. When we worship and we praise God, it's easy to run out of words. And that's great. <laughs> it's great when we can run out of words uh, because we learn right here that the capacity of our minds to comprehend or describe the greatness of God is too small. We're too limited. We're too little. And not that I'm trying to demean you. I'm trying to show that God is so great. He's so magnificent. He's so huge in his greatness. And, and when we come to the end of our ability to express that, God's still greater than that. And then that itself is praising God. Uh, it's going to take forever to give God praise. Um, and he deserves that. He deserves that praise. This isn't kowtowing. This isn't being forced into it. We praise God and the praise is going to be infinite. And that's to stretch a little bit. That is infinite uniquely. That's not infinite in repetition. That will be... When we, are, when we are with Christ, the ability to praise God will be magnified and we will always be praising God for God being God. And it's not going back and starting at the beginning. We will always be moving forward in that. Uh, uh, verses four, uh, one generation shall commend your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. Um, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. Beyond the eternal amount of time we need to worship and praise God, we need the entirety of humanity to commit to the task. The entirety of humanity is needed to praise God. One generation to another passing along the glorious splendor of his majesty. It is part of praising God. It's part of giving God praise, giving God worship that we have the joyous responsibility of praising God to the next generation. To continue that on, Exodus 1 verse 8, um, don't have to bother, it's one little line. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. If you remember the story, everything was great at the end of Genesis, as Tim taught, Israel came in as honored guests. And this new king, this new pharaoh arose, and they forgot about Joseph. They forgot. This king didn't know the Joseph who had saved his empire. He didn't know the Joseph that enabled him to ascend to the throne. Because without Joseph, they may very well not have been an empire of Egypt for him to be king of. Yet he forgot. He forgot Joseph. 
The mighty act that Jesus saves us from the punishment due because of our sin must never be forgotten through all generations, forever and ever. Telling the next generation about God in worship is praise, is worship, but it's also our mission. This is, this is our responsibility to do this. We must proclaim the gospel to the next generation. Here in verses uh, four through nine, we have a great description of why we should praise the name of the Lord. When we praise God, when we worship God, we sometimes have the complaint that we run out of things to praise God for. Do you ever, you're, we, we talk about praying, we talk about praising God, you know, and, and adoration of God and things like that. And you go, I just don't know what to pray. I already thanked him for my food and now I don't know what else I'm going to pray about. Um, here in, in four through nine, we're given many opportunities. And just um, as an aside, so Psalm 145 to 150, easy to remember, the back of the book, the end of, end of Psalms. You don't know what to praise God for? Open your Bible, read one of these out loud to God. You don't have to be creative. God's creative. God gave us the words to say to him right here. There is nothing wrong and everything great about reading these psalms of praise to God. And I'll challenge you to do it out loud and do it standing. <laughs> it's okay because you're reading, you can have your eyes open. Um, so declare your mighty acts. Say out loud the acts of God. Proclaim God verbally. Greatest for us is sending his son to die for us, forgive us our sin. Um, but creation, eternal life, victory over my sin. When we read these things, remember that when we are speaking them, speak them from yourself. Don't disconnect yourself. Don't read these in the third person. Read them in the first person. Jesus died for my sin. And, let's, and, and I praise God for that. I thank God for that. Um, if you're not spending enough time meditating on God and all his attributes, I dare say you're not thinking big enough. Read through these lists. Pray them out loud. The, glory, the glorious splendor of your majesty. God is majestic. God is sovereign of all. Jesus is king of kings. He is lord of lords. Here in America, we decide on a new president every four years. We might not appreciate the majesty of a sovereign God who is eternal and infinite in all ways. Just wrap your head around that. And if you can, let me know how to do it. That God is majestic. He is eternal. He's infinite in all of his ways. And every one of his ways is perfect and good. So I'll let you in a secret. This is a really easy sermon to prepare because I just read what David said and comment on it. So <laughs> it's, it's easy to praise God 
and, and, and we should do it. Uh, and on your wondrous works, God backs up his greatness, his majesty by his mighty works. The work of God defines reality. The work of God is this creation. God establishes history. God ensures that the future is going to occur as he has ordained in his will. That's his wondrous works. And of course, again, Jesus Christ dying for our sins. God's wondrous work is allowing us the opportunity for eternal life. Is that worth praising him for? It's okay, Tim's not up here. You can say yes or amen. Uh, <laughs> uh, is it the fame of your abundant goodness? The wonderful thing is that the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly just, ever-present God is good. I cannot imagine him not being good. That That is... That's completely outside of, of the realm of life happening. God is good. He is abundantly good. I had a teacher who would say something was good, gooder, or goodest. He wasn't an English teacher. Um, the same with saying God is to be praised with much muchness. We run out of words in worshiping God. And that in itself is a reason to praise and worship God. Think about it. If you had a God that you could completely define in a little tiny box with a lid on it, maybe a cute little latch, is that a God that's worthy to be praised? Just think about how wonderful it is that God is so unimaginably great. And abundantly good. And we praise him for that. Sing aloud of your righteousness. We did that this morning. We sung aloud of God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness? Um, if you want to look at Psalm 31, it's in the same book. Uh, Psalm 31 verses 1 and 2. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Go back to 145. We can define God's righteousness as his faithfulness to keep his promises. God is faithful to keep the promises he made to you. Here in Psalm 31, it's his promise to deliver David from his enemies, to be a refuge, to be a strong fortress. But God is faithful to keep his promise. That's his righteousness. The acts and attributes of God that we can proclaim, that we can meditate, and that we can sing about is God's righteousness. 
In forty in one forty five, go to uh, to verse uh, eight and nine. The Lord is gracious, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Verses eight and nine kind of fill out the uh, idea of God's goodness and faithfulness. When we say God is good, it's because He's slow to anger. God is good because He's abounding in steadfast love. Those are attributes of God that God has shown us are are good. But just think about that phrase for a minute. God is abounding in his love. His love is overflowing. It's literally a tidal wave of love. It's an unstoppable force of love. Yet his love is also steadfast. His love is around you, is this tremendous force, but it's unmovable. Yeah, it's a little bit of a contradiction, but okay. <laughs> God is immovable. The love of God is unmovable. Think about that. God never falls out of love with you. We have this this capacity that we fall in love, we fall out of love. We break up, we make up, back and forth, back and forth. Um, the love of God never changes. God never falls out of love with you. And, and when we look at what we have done and say, he still loves me? He still loves me because of that? That's amazing. And that's something that we praise God for. And we look and we say, God, you're, you're incredible. Um, his, he's gracious in his love, and he's mercifulness, merciful in his slowness to anger. We, we tend to see those as, as two sides, but, but the greatness of his slowness to anger the Lord is good to all. God is, God's goodness is expressed to everyone. How can God be good to all when, his, when he promises wrath on sinners? The second line of this verse tells us how God is good to all through his mercy. God has a patience for sinful man. And that is merciful in the fact that it's not earned or owed. God's patience with sinful man is not something he owes us. It's not something that we earned, we worked for. It is simply because of God himself, and that is his perfect attribute. Once we've sinned, God is right in his judgment and wrath to destroy us, to cast us into eternal punishment. But the Lord does not. He waits for sinners to come to his son for redemption, for the payment against our debt of sin that we cannot repay. That's, that is how he is good. And then the question is, isn't that just in itself enough to praise him for? The fact that God is merciful is enough to praise him for. 
verses 10 through 13, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, tell of your power. Um, worshiping God for what he's done. Worshiping God for the things that he's put on display. Um, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. Um, blind worship or worship with no substance is not really worship. To worship and have no idea why is not true worship. When there's so much to praise God for, why would we engage in empty worship? Why would we mindlessly worship God when there's so much that we can, we can point to, to worship God for, to praise God for? Uh, when we speak of God's kingdom and power, when we tell our children of his mighty deeds, we worship God. When we praise God for his kingdom, which lasts forever and ever, we recognize his dominion and power. We become amazed. We look at that and we are amazed and we give God glory. We bless the Lord by praising his name and his deeds and we fall in love with God. And we praise God and we worship God when we fall in love with him. Now, verse 13, have to, have to do a little housekeeping here. <laughs> uh, in your Bibles, verse 13, the second half may have little square brackets around it. It may be at the bottom of the page. Um, if you have King James, it's not there at all. Um, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. So David gives us an acrostic psalm, praising God, uplifting his name, worshiping the Lord. Uh, and while there's 21 verses in the Hebrew alphabet, there's only 21 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, there's only 21 verses here. So we come to the place where the Hebrew letter nun, N-U-N, nun, not N-O-N-E, uh, should be. Uh, and some manuscripts are missing a stanza starting with that letter. What good is an acrostic poem if you don't use all the letters? I mean, even I'm a better poet than that. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. So um, I lightly edited Ellicott's commentary to explain this because Ellicott is kind of clunky. Uh, the nun stanza, which should come after Psalm 145.13, has most probably dropped away. This is what he's saying. Uh, the Septuagint, the Vulgate, the Syriac, and the uh, Ethiopic have a variation of Psalm 145, verse 17, here um, for the, the nun stanza. Um, but it's unknown in other, other versions, other, other ancient, even older versions. Um, it's rejected by Jewish writers. It does show up in one Hebrew manuscript, but they say that Hebrew manuscript was probably influenced by the Septuagint. Um, he says, but the arguments can hardly weigh against the improbability that one letter, and an easy one for the purpose, should have been either purposely or accidentally omitted in the original draft, especially when we reflect on how extremely unlikely it was that the Septuagint should trouble themselves to supply a verse in order to keep up an arrangement for which they took no other notice, perhaps even hardly observed it. Um, 
It's not likely that the nun verse was originally omitted. It's not necessary that the Septuagint should supply it. Uh, the psalm is not free of repetition. The psalms are not free of repetition. Um, so where does it go? And also David has written other imperfect acrostics. That's, that's kind of a, a thing. Um, so what Ellicott's trying to say is that the Masoretic text doesn't include verse 13b, um, and translations that rely on that text, such as the King James uh, and the, uh, the Geneva Bible, for example, um, don't include it. It was not included in those texts. Um, there, there are imperfect uh, acrostics, and this could be one of those cases. The funny thing is, many commentators went on and on and on about the originality of the stanza. Almost no one talked about the content. No one talked about what is in God's word. They just talked about, you know, is it there, is it here, is it wherever. So I'm not a theologian. I'm not a biblical scholar. So I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm not looking to write a commentary, so I don't have to do that. Examining the nun stanza for value, we can see right away that it's good writing. It's consistent with the whole of the psalm. It's a variation of verse 17, which is, verse 17 is not in debate. Um, so it's not a statement that's unique in the Bible. It's not a statement that's unique in the psalms. It's not unique in the psalms of David, and it's not unique in this particular psalm. God is faithful in all his words. He promised a savior and he provided one. That is a good thing and that's something worthy of praising God for. He is kind in all his works. It's easy to talk about just being kind, but think about how amazing it is that God is kind in his work. Everything God does is kind. You can go so far as to say it's the definition of kind. It's where we learn how to be kind is from God. He gave us a way to reconcile our sin and have our debt paid. And that is a reason to worship God. So let's just leave the nun stanza in and praise God for it. Uh, 14 and on, verses 14 and 19, they actually give us personal reasons to worship and praise God. And more than that, it gives us reasons to love God. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling. The word using here is a participle, literally the Lord sustaining. But the Lord is a sustainer or upholder of all that fall. Uh, the allusions to those have, have no power in themselves. It's, it's not that you tripped. It's just you just don't have the power to, st to, to stay upright anymore. Um, these are the persons who would sink under the burdens of life. We have all been in that place. We've all been in that place where the burdens of life are just overwhelming. And our sustaining force, our sustaining uplifting is God. The idea is that this is an attribute of the Lord, that he sustains people that are in this state, that those who are weak and burdened 
they can rely on God to uphold them. And raises up all who are bowed down. Uh, again, it's a participle. This is, uh, he is lifting up. That he is a lifter upper. Oh, I, I know all the teachers are freaking out with my poor grammar and my poor uh, English, but it's kind of where this goes. So <laughs> he is a lifter upper. There are those who are bent, they're bowed down, they're under their duties, their cares, their trials of life. The people who are bowed down under those burdens that are, that are on their backs, God's able to strengthen them so they can bear those burdens without being crushed under them. There's literally, you know, to have that weight and have the strength to carry those burdens. Verses 15 through 16, the Lord gives his common grace to all of creation. It continues the idea of God as sustainer, but here he's the one who sustains our very life. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, upholding, uh, falling down the weak, bowed down the ones who are burdened, um, but the eyes of all look to you and you give them food in due season. Food's important. God provides it. He blesses our harvest. He, he, he gives us the strength to gather in that harvest. Um, he opens his hand and he pours out of his hand into ours the satisfaction of our desires. Um, he says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. He literally opens his hand and he just pours it into our hands, waiting for it. Verses Romans uh, 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love the Lord? Do you desire a relationship with God? God can satisfy that desire. That's that pouring out. He's satisfying your desire for him. So come to verse 17, which is a restating of verse 13b. Uh, the Lord is righteous in everything he does. Not just sometimes or most of the time, but always and for eternity. The Lord is kind. God's kindness, his care for us, should give us reasons to shout and proclaim his goodness to us. We should be vocal about this. So verses 13b and 17 proclaim God is faithful, kind, and righteous in his words, ways, and works. Verses 14 through 16 speak of God being faithful, kind, and righteous, sustaining us by his words, ways, and works. So um, 13b may or may not have been in the original text, but it makes great bookends for 14 through 16. We say God is great in his works. We talk of his works and we say God is great in his works. That's not bad. So, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Have you ever been in that place where you're troubled? There's a problem. You call on somebody for help. And they'll say, I'll be there as fast as I can. 
I'm eight hours away. I need to get on an airplane and fly to you. I'll be there tomorrow. When we're in those times where things are difficult, where we're distressed, where we need help, while, while those who love us are saying, I'm going to be there as fast as I can, there's still that, that time lag before they're actually here. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. You call on the Lord and his voice is right here going, yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here, right now. And what's great is he says, I'm right here before you say amen. Because he's, he's always there. He's always there. He's that comforter. Um, his spirit is our comforter. Joel kind of talked about just being wrapped up in the Lord. He's around us. He's in us. And that's that nearness. And to praise God for that. You know, we go... Praise God, my friend answered my phone call and is coming. God's already here. Praise him for that too. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. How do we find the comfort of God? The care to sustain us, the promise of a reconciled, eternal relationship with God. We love him. We love him because he is worthy of love. He's worthy of being loved because he's loved us. There's always the, um, the caution, the warning, but the wicked, but all the wicked he will destroy. All. It's going to be complete. It's, it's, there, there's not going to be an escape from that. But the wicked are the ones who don't love God. Certainly one way to define wicked is those who don't love God. And for those of us who love God, I think the question that comes up is, how can a person not love God? And I think the answer is they've been blinded, they have blinded themselves with their sin. They've blinded themselves in their sin, they don't hear the call of the Lord as a sound of love. I think one of the, uh, the, it comes up probably once a week, where somebody sends a text or an email or something, and we get the wrong impression. We go, how could you do that? Somebody once sent me an email at work, and it was just horrible. And I had done a lot to help this person. And I go, unbelievable. And he goes, oh, it's down here at our other office, that's a running joke, is that when somebody does something great, you just like totally trash on them. I go, I wasn't in on the joke. It was just ugly. <laughs> so what happens when God calls you and you don't hear that as a call of love? You, you, you hear that as mean or condemnation because you don't have a heart for God. That's the definition of wicked. They recoil from the touch of God. God reaches out to them and they back away and say, I don't want anything to do with you. That's the wicked. 
These are the ones who the wrath of God is for. They're destined to an eternity of anguish absent from that love of God. Why are they, why is God going to destroy them? Why are they wicked? Because they've rebelled against God. They've turned away. God has offered them love and salvation and they've rebelled against that. And he said, okay, you're wicked and you will be destroyed. So the English translation keeps the form of the Hebrew writing. A lot of times Hebrew, any other language, you know, doesn't follow English syntax and, and composition. Here they preserved it. Um, preserves a verb, all who love him is an object, all the wicked is object, and destroys a verb. So I have to say, maybe David is a better poet than I am, because I wouldn't have thought of that. But the idea that the it begins and ends with God's actions, and in the center are the objects, and the objects are those who love him and those who are wicked. We are the object that God is acting upon. Finally, in verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So he ends his psalm echoing the stanza that he started with, and he says he will praise the Lord with his mouth. Again, praising God, we can praise God in our heart. You can praise God while you're driving to work, but do it out loud. I dare even say shout it. Freak your neighbors out. It's good. It's a great opportunity for evangelism. <laughs> what are you yelling about? I'm yelling because God is good. Great opening. Um, it's, it's one of these speaks. Uh, okay, calm down. Uh, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever, that we will have for all time the joy of blessing the holy name of God. That's going to be our joy. It's not going to be a burden. It's not going to be a hassle. It's our joy to praise and bless the holy name of God. This, that's the wonderful thought here is that we will bless, praise, glorify, and worship the Lord forever and ever. With that we end with amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being God, for being you and that we can praise your name forever and ever. We can praise your works, your words, your promises, everything that you do, everything you are, is worthy of praise, is worthy of worship, worthy of adoring you, worthy of loving you. Give us, give us the joy that comes with being in love with you. As we worship you this week, that we can remember your great works. In Jesus' name, amen.